Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Hello, everybody. My name is Nathan. I know uh, the majority of you in here. If you want to get started, go ahead and start opening up your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we're going to be for the, the majority of our study today. You know, I always get very nervous before coming up to speak in front of people. Uh, I mean, it's a strange thing just coming and saying a, a bunch of words to people. Uh, I, I take great comfort every time I remind myself of the story in Acts 20 where, where Paul is preaching a sermon that's so, that's so long. There's a dude that, that falls asleep, falls out a window, and then dies. So uh, I, I tell myself, as long as that doesn't happen, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, so in all seriousness, uh, my name is Nathan. I've been coming to Midtown uh, for about four years. Humbly, uh, I lead a Bible study, and I've enjoyed uh, the privilege of much ministry service here uh, at Midtown, along with many of you, um, who are just my dear friends and brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, and it's been one of the greatest privileges of my life, uh, aside from getting to marry my wife, Maggie. Oh, I hear you're supposed to do that uh, on your first time preaching. Uh, so I am not the pastor of this ministry. That is our pastor, Brandon Briscoe. I, I just have the privilege of, of filling in for him today, uh, and it truly is um, just something that I can humbly take on. It's very sobering to do, uh, just to give to you what, what God has been sharing with me. And just a little bit of backstory into this study. Uh, I don't want to belabor this too long, uh, but this is coming from a place of, of devotion in my personal life. Um, so first and foremost, there, there are some pretty direct things said um, through this, but these are things that, that God was dealing with me on, and it's my prayer uh, that you guys are able to glean these things from the study as well. Uh, it's coming from a place where, where I was finding it very easy to be worried uh, and wearied by the, the state of the outside world and, and even with ministry burdens uh, and wondering and asking the Lord, is, is anything I'm doing does it even matter uh, with, with the way the world is, with the brokenness that is all around? Uh, so I began to study 2 Timothy just to see what God says through, Tim, uh, through Paul to Timothy uh, about continuing strong in the faith uh, and holding the line, so to speak, in our faith uh, when the world just seems like it's falling apart. Uh, but so we have to wonder before we go into the study, uh, what, what is the point of it? Why would Paul be writing this letter in the first place? Uh, and one way that we can begin to do this is by getting an understanding of the historical context that's surrounding the letter. Uh, Paul was very likely writing this letter from a prison cell not too long before his death in approximately the year 67 AD. Uh, and this was during a time of great Christian persecution across the Roman Empire. Because in 64 AD, there were great fires that broke out all across Rome, dest uh, destroying roughly 10 out of Rome's 14 districts. As you can imagine, the kind of uh, destruction and despair that would cause. Now, just imagine maybe a more practical example. If 70% of Kansas City uh, just went up in flames, what that would do to the population here and to the surrounding facilities uh, and the surrounding areas, or even a more practical example, um, uh, we just look in the news at Hawaii, what happened there and just the destruction uh, that happened on the island. Um, so... As history recalls, the, the likely culprit for these fires, for political and other nefarious reason, was the emperor of Rome, Nero. Um, 
And so from the account of the Fox's Book of Martyrs regarding the first Roman persecution under Nero, now there's going to be a lot of words on there. I'm going to read it. Uh, You guys can read along if you would like. It says, This dreadful conflagration, meaning the fires, continued nine days. When Nero, finding that his conduct was greatly, greatly blamed and a severe odium cast upon him, determined to lay the whole upon the Christians, and at once to excuse himself and to have an opportunity of glutting his sight with new cruelties, this was the occasion of the first persecution. And the barbarities exercised on the Christians were such as even excited the commiseration of the Romans themselves. Nero even refined upon cruelty and contrived all manner of punishments for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. In particular, he had some sewed up in skins of wild beasts uh, and then worried by dogs until they expired. Uh, And others, dressed in shirts made stiff with wax, fixed to axle trees, and set on fire in the gardens in order to illuminate them. Uh, This persecution was general throughout the whole Roman Empire, but it rather increased than diminished the spirit of of Christianity. And in the course of it, uh, St. Paul and St. Peter were martyred. So it can be a sobering thing, uh, and we can just read that uh, and think of it as a story that just happened in in times past. Uh, But it's a very sobering reality that there's one day uh, in eternity future where we're going to meet these people and, and see them face to face. Uh, And so in a time like this, we can imagine the spirit of fear and anxiety that was in the air if you were calling yourself a Christian. Uh, And as we read these gruesome accounts uh, of this persecution, my desire is not to bring some kind of shock factor um, to the message, but it's rather to help us understand uh, the times and the gravity of what is being said by Paul in this letter. Uh, and, and while it's no clearly direct comparison, uh, we can identify some, sila- uh, some similarities and make applications for our daily lives today. Uh, just some examples that I was thinking of is we can see there's political instability all around the world. Wars seem to be popping up everywhere. Uh, we're in the aftermath still of a worldwide pandemic that just seemed to change all social, social structures. Um, natural disasters everywhere. And Christians, our own brothers and sisters, They're being murdered, imprisoned all around the world, and their churches are being burned. Um, And while uh, God has provided much protection to us in the United States, we're very fortunate of it. Uh, You're lying to yourself if you think there's no persecution in America. It just looks a little different. Uh, Just one example um, uh, of our own fellowship, it may look like church members getting kicked out of their church for taking a stance on the perfectly preserved word of God as New World woke religions and liberal theologies try to perform full-scale purgings of the absolute truth of God's word. Uh, Or it could even look like the subtle nudging of comfort on your life to not take what God has given you seriously uh, because it would be uncomfortable or offensive to the people around you. Uh, So you just enjoy your comfort, don't put your hand to the plow, and don't contend for your faith, and just sit on the sidelines. So in that face value, uh, as we look around at the world, it can feel as if nobody actually wants to hear the truth of God's word, Uh, uh, which is the only solution to all of life's problems that we have. And in a worldly sense for us today, uh, we can find a lot that we can make ourselves fearful of. In fact, I think we would agree with Paul uh, when he says later on in 2 Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, 
blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. So this leads me to the key question uh, that we're going to be using as our launching pad for our study today. It's how do we persevere in our faith and model for the next generation to do the same in a broken world? So we're going to go through seven keys. Really, it's nine, but seven keys um, that we're going to be looking at today. And just a little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to be saying the word persevere a lot. Maybe it's just because I was studying it and it like lost all meaning to me as I was saying it. Uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and give it the working definition that we're going to use for persevere. Uh, so to persevere from Merriam-Webster is to persist in an undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, and discouragement. And while this isn't going to be uh, an entirely exhaustive uh, study on the topic, uh, I think by God's grace, we're going to get a, a solid foundation that we can glean and, and move forward from. Amen? Yes. All right. Are we ready to go? Yes, Perfect. I am going to pray real quick, and then we'll get going. Father, uh, truly just thank you uh, for the privilege that it is to bring your word to your people. Um, Lord, I am a, a weak man. Um, I have stumbling lips. I talk too fast. I stutter. Um, Lord, but in all the weakness of my flesh, your word is powerful. Uh, so, Father, please use me. Lord, give me that privilege and speak through me. But, Lord, let your word land on good ground uh, and just to learn things from Second Timothy that we can take and, and apply to our lives, Lord, and, uh, and just see that you are a shield for us. Lord, we love you, Father, and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's get going. We're going to start 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be kind of walking the ball down the field, so to speak, in, in the terms of these verses. We're going to be going all the way through 1 through 7, but we're going to be chunking it down. So verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So from the very beginning of this letter, we see that Paul addresses his authorship, but not just that, he's also uh, addressing the authority by which he's writing his letter. Uh, and this is uh, not something that's particularly uncommon for the greetings in Paul's letters. As we go through them, we can see that uh, uh, pretty often. Uh, and in these greetings, we can often find the establishment of a theme that we're going to be seeing, like a thread through the rest of the letter. Uh, and so from the introduction here, we're seeing the authority by which Paul is writing the letter. And he's pointing to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. By this promise, he's writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Uh, so in a world that's nosediving towards chaos and running to hell, uh, Paul, while he's in prison with his death on the horizon, is pointing back to the promises of Jesus Christ. So this leads me to my first key point that we'll be using as a point of study. Uh, to persevere, we must hold to the promises of God's word. So naturally, we must ask ourselves, what are the promises that God gives to us in his word? Uh, so we'll cover a few of them. We'll, we'll focus mostly on the promise of life. But first, before we look into the promises, uh, I think it would be beneficial for us to see just how seriously God takes the promises that he gives to us. Uh, so God values his word very highly, so much that he values it above his very name. You can see that in Psalms 138, verse 2. 
And we can even look at 1 Kings uh, chapter 8, verse 56. It says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of his servant Moses. So God does not fail on a single one of his promises. Uh, he is not like men are who are fickle with their words. Uh, and we can even see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, it says, But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, uh, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, meaning the truth, unto the glory of God by us. So we see that God is not double-minded regarding the promises that he gives to us, uh, and, and we need to understand that what he says he will accomplish in his word. Um, uh, so he calls us to take hold of those promises and to live in them and hide behind them. Uh, I would also like to point out in the Second Corinthians cross-reference, uh, he makes mention of Timothy accompanying him uh, in this time as he ministers God's, God's promises. Uh, and yet we see Paul at the beginning of Second Timothy pointing him back to the promises of life and the truth of God's word. Uh, so I don't even know if this is technically legal in, in key point legislation, but we have a sub-point key, sub-key point, <laughs> which is key point 1A. It's to persevere, we must understand that we will never graduate beyond the basic principles of God's word. So we would obviously never make that claim out loud, especially for those of us who are well-churched or a growing leader who's, who's learned a thing or two. Uh, but still in the quietness of our heart, we can fall into the subtle trap of not prioritizing regular and intimate time uh, uh, with our Lord and his word, and we forget just how dependent we are on the grace of our Savior. Uh, and we begin to make little excuses about ourselves, why, why little things don't apply to us, or we can make uh, just little um, exceptions for ourselves, and those things will eventually turn into big things if, you're not, if you don't check yourself. So we ourselves, just like Timothy, need to be reminded of the promise of life that we only have in Christ. Um, so for those of you who are relatively new to church, maybe you've just been coming around a couple times, uh, you might not even know what that is. And God invites you to come and see, to, uh, to prove out all things, and to hold fast to that which is good. Uh, so how do you do that practically? Um, so some of you, if you've been coming around, you need to seriously consider joining yourself to a Bible study. Um, so you can see uh, and prioritize coming consistently to it so that you can see and take hold of God's promises for yourself in the context of a small, intimate group. Uh, and then there's some of you um, who, who need to take the, the call to discipleship seriously. Uh, um, you, you know that you want to grow in your relationship with God and that there must be more for your life, but you're continually making excuse for yourself to why you can't do that. Uh, so for, for you, there is a cost of discipleship class coming up in October, and you need to seriously consider and pray about going to that and moving forward in discipleship. But there's even some of you who, who don't even know what the promises that God extends to you are, uh, or you're actively wrestling with God, and you're allowing yourself to float through life with no grasp of your purpose and what direction you need to go with your life. You may even find yourself in the place of Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas, in John uh, 14, 5 and 6, it says, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
So we see here clearly that not all roads lead to heaven. There is no religion, there is no amount of good works, there is no prophet or idol that will save your soul, Uh, and God makes it very clear that there is only one way, and he makes it clear what that way is to us. Uh, In John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him uh, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, it says, And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. It is black and white. There is no gray in between. Uh, and it makes me think of, I was just thinking of Alba's testimony today as she was getting baptized. Just the, the amount of joy in the new life that she was talking about that she had. Uh, and that's what Christ extends out to us. So God makes his great love uh, for each and every one of us very clear that while we were yet sinners and separated from him, uh, he humbled himself and put himself on a cross, bearing all the righteous wrath he has towards sin, that we might have the opportunity to be washed entirely clean and have relationship with him. So for those of you who don't know Christ, maybe that's something new to you or maybe you've heard it a couple times and you've been wrestling with it. Um, if you have questions about it, there's going to be a time at the end where you need to come up and talk to somebody uh, about who Christ is, what he wants for your life, uh, and you need to not delay in that. Um, So as we continue to verse 2 in our passage, uh, we see the intimacy and the relationship between Paul and Timothy, where he refers to him as his dearly beloved son. And you can almost hear um, the sense of longing in Paul's words for his son Timothy in the face as he's writing his epistle. Uh, and so this leads me to my second key point, which is to persevere, we must have a heart for discipleship. So we need to remember the privilege that it is for us to invest the word of God into the souls of men, and God forbid that we turn our discipleship relationships into simply coming half-prepared uh, to a series of lessons. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. The lessons are extremely important for our discipleship relationships. They contain the truth of God's word, and that is everything to us. Uh, uh, But we're training people up to follow us uh, as we follow Christ, that they may endure hardness as good soldiers. Uh, You know, it makes me think of my discipleship relationships and uh, the, the fathers in the faith that I had. And I can think of the place I was uh, when I first started coming around to Midtown and how there's guys like uh, Elijah or John or Pastor Ong or Mankit or Brandon uh, or Braden, men who took interest in me and poured the word of God into my life uh, and grew me up to be a man in the faith uh, so that when trials did come, uh, I could endure them and I could look back to the grace, mercy, and peace uh, of our Savior and to know how good he is as our Heavenly Father. Uh, and I can think uh, just how my spiritual fathers, the way they invested in me, uh, how that had to be true when my, my actual dad passed away pretty suddenly. Uh, and the only thing I could cling on to was the word of God. So Ephesians 6.4 tells us, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And that's what we're doing when we're discipling. So ask yourself, how are you approaching your discipleship relationships with those that God has given you to train up? But also consider for yourself, um, who are you 
who in your life is pointing you back to the grace, mercy, and peace of Christ? You need that Paul in your life, and that's one of those things that you don't grow out of. But so as necessary as it is for us to communicate uh, the love that we have for those that we're investing in, we also need to know that we, we can't love and invest in them perfectly. Uh, and just as Timothy uh, was a beloved son to Paul, uh, you need to know uh, and your disciples need to know uh, that they're accepted in the beloved, uh, uh, that they're accepted by their creator, and this is the current state of their life. So this leads me to key point 2A. This is the last sub-key point, I promise. Uh, So Ephesians 1, 6 and 7 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So there are many of us who have difficulty loving and discipling well because we've forgotten that very thing. Uh, And instead of finding our true identity and purpose in Christ, we're often finding our identity uh, in the amount of ministry service we're doing, uh, our careers or the opinions of others or our leaders, uh, which is always going to leave us wanting. Uh, So we need to know that for those who have accepted the gift that Christ extends to us, you are accepted in him, and that is your state. Uh, And what more could we ask for? He has given us everything. So this leads me uh, to our next series of verses, which is going to be 2 Timothy uh, 1, 3 through 4. In verse 3, it starts out and says, I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So immediately after Paul's introduction to his letter, we find the striking reality that, again, Paul, uh, who has suffered many beatings, unjust trials, and slanderings, and is likely on his third imprisonment before his martyrdom, he's finding himself in a place of thankfulness. So this leads me to key point number three. It's to persevere. We must keep a spirit of thanksgiving. So we need to understand that God takes the attitude of our hearts and the issue of our thankfulness very seriously. In Romans 1.21, it says, Because that, uh, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And as we clearly see the blessings and the truth of God in our lives, our refusal to be thankful to him is as if we're disgracing him to his face, and we forget that we're not owed anything by God. So being thankful uh, is something that's, uh, very easy for us when things are going our way, right? We can all probably imagine that. But then when the slightest affliction comes our way, we find ourselves distraught or bitter because we feel like uh, God just handed us the hardest battle he's ever handed out to anybody. Uh, and then we forget the, the many blessings that we have in Christ. I remember really recently, uh, my wife and I, we were driving back from Denver after seeing some family. Uh, and I, I actually had this thought, I was praying this as we were driving, and I was like, God, thank you Uh, just that you've given us a reliable car. Because I can remember the days, especially in college, when my car would break down every week. And some of you are in that place right now. You you get in your car, you turn it on, and then people are passing out around you because it smells like oil is burning so bad. Uh, But, so, halfway through our trip, we get to a gas station, you know, as you do, to fill up on gas. And I get out, and the bumper of my car is hanging off. And then I go from a place of thankfulness to a place where I'm immediately pissed off talking about how I have a piece of crap car 
the bad things always happen to me, and I need a new one. <laughs> so uh, that's a really silly and shallow example. I get that. Uh, but hopefully it illustrates for us just how fickle that we can be in our thankfulness, and we forget so quickly that our emotions are not the truth of our lives. Uh, we can get so focused on what's going on right here and right now that we take our eyes off of all the things that God has afforded us. Ephesians 1.3 tells us that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57, it says, So when this corruptible shall put on incorruptible, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we ought to be thankful for the physical and material things that were given. Don't get me wrong. All good things come from the Lord. Uh, but the spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ are far sweeter than any status or material things that we can t- obtain on this earth. Uh, God is not holding, uh, holding out on us but he has given us the victory over the sting and the strength of sin by the work of Jesus Christ. So as we continue uh, through verses 3 and 4, we see that the object of Paul's thankfulness in this instance was that without ceasing, he had remembrance of his son Timothy in his prayers. Uh, And this leads me to my next key point, and I think probably uh, would likely be if there's anyone for you to get down, this would be it, because they're, they're all important, but uh, the, this is the one that we need to understand, especially in the latter end of the church age. Uh, it's to persevere. We must be diligent in prayer. Uh, and if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of neglecting the blessing that we have in prayer. Uh, and if we take a real look at the state of our prayer lives, it can be uh, an adequate indicator of the temperature of our spiritual walk. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, stated, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. And uh, somebody from the Living Faith Fellowship, I don't remember who said it, but it was at a conference somewhere. And this isn't even the exact wording, but this is the gist of it, and it stuck with me. Uh, It says, neglect of prayer is actually a declaration of independence from God. So when we evaluate our prayer life and what it looks like, many of us can likely see that we've unknowingly fallen in the trap of thinking that because we are relatively comfortable, we have no real needs that we can think of, uh, 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 and we, we entirely forget um, what we actually need. And then in this, it's the spirit of the Laodicean age that we can see in us. This brings me to Revelations chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. It says, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. But God shows us his desire and his availability to us in Revelations 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So God makes himself available to us and wants us to talk with him as a friend. Prayer is a great thing because it puts us in a place of humility uh, and we have access to the God who spoke all of creation into existence. There is nothing that he cannot do. Uh, We get to speak to him, we get to have fellowship and we get to make requests and God wants this kind of relationship with each and every person in this room. 
Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 tells us, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Or in Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's very near to you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Many of us think that, that God doesn't want to be bothered with us. Uh, and then we, we get down on ourselves so we don't pray. And we don't talk to him about the things going on in our lives. But he makes it very clear he wants you to talk to him. And I apologize. I know this portion was rather cross-reference heavy. But I felt it necessary just to communicate how much God does want you to be in prayer. Uh, it is quite literally one of the most important tools that we have on this side of eternity. And apart from our desperate pleading before the Lord in prayer, there is nothing of eternal value that will be done with our lives. Yeah. In First Timothy 2, it tells us that we should pray all sorts of prayers for all sorts of men and that, God is willing, that, that God's will is for all men to be saved. So we must pray prayers according to God's will. First John 5.14 tells us that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we ought to be praying for souls of men. And so this is why Tuesday night prayer ministry is so important. Uh, this is why you can't neglect it. Uh, because we have family members and friends who need to know the love and the grace that our Savior provides to them. And to finish out this chunk of verses, um, I think it would be beneficial for us to take a quick look at verse 4, uh, which is greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So this indicates at some point that, that Paul and Timothy had to uh, go separate ways, and, and it was hard for them, right? We can, we can imagine what that looks like, and I don't have a whole lot of time to spend on this section, uh, but it leads me to key point number five, which is to persevere, we must love one another. John thirteen thirty five tells us that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one to another. Okay, so just a warning. This is going to be a really bad illustration. <laughs> uh, but as you know, it's the one that I can think of. So uh, in the, the four to five years that I've been coming to Midtown, I think of it like having a dog. There you go. If there's any dogs you're going to get, a Brussels griffin is the one you should get. I'm trying to talk Maggie into it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think of it like having a dog. Uh, and this is why I don't like dogs. So... <laughs> Track with me, track with me. Uh, because what? The average lifespan is a do of a dog is what? Like 10 years? Then what happens? Oh, oh no. You spend all this time with a dog, loving it, training it up, and then it dies and you're sad. Okay. So I told you that was going to be a really bad illustration. <laughs> so I'm not saying that I don't like being here at MVT. By no means. I love it here. This is my home. Uh, and I'm not saying that people are dogs. Uh, please don't hear that. Uh, this is just the best example I could think of. Uh, but when, in, in all seriousness, um, I can even just look around this room right now, uh, and I can look at my brothers and sisters, dear friends in the faith, uh, and know that for the joy and the honor of our King, there are some of us that will be sent out to see God's kingdom grow. Um, and it will be sad. It will be heartbreaking. Uh, 
but it's sweet to know that we have family that loves this dearly and is so unified in the mission for our king. Uh, so I can think of uh, the first time, it was actually, it was, I think, the third time I ever came to Kaya. Um, There's a woman in the ministry, her name was Brooke Sidebottom, and she was being sent out to go be part of Living Faith Tampa. Uh, and before the service, Brandon called her up, uh, and everybody who, who she's had an impact, impact with, uh, they laid hands on her and prayed over her, and they were weeping over her uh, because they were sending her out. And this was my third time here. So I was like, what the heck is going on? I was like, I don't even know what these people are doing. Why are they so upset? So what? She's moving. Uh, but, you, you know, <laughs> track with it, track with me. Uh, but through that, uh, I was able to see the love uh, that God's people had for each other. Uh, and, and through that, by the end of it, I was weeping myself, and I didn't even know why. Uh, but I, I knew in myself that I wanted to have relationships like that, uh, where I could love uh, my family that much. Uh, and it's, it's uh, reasons like this that we can also look at the Vietnam team that just left, uh, and we can weep, uh, but at the same time be joyful uh, because we are unified in the mission to see our King glorified in all the earth. Uh, you know, and I know I may never see Andrew Ong again. And I may never see Mankid or Taylor Man, by God's grace and by his will, man, we will. Uh, but I know that we'll get to see them in eternity. Uh, and they'll have many new brothers and sisters that we get to see. So we need to remember those that we've sent out. Uh, and they need us to love and to support them in prayer while they're away. Uh, so speaking of remembering things, I love a good segue. Uh, and this leads us to verse 5 and 6. Uh, and for the sake of time, I'm going to be going a little quicker through some of these verses, but 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, it says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, uh, which is in thee by the laying on of my hands." So we see here that Paul is calling the unfeigned faith or the sincere faith uh, that's been proven out in Timothy. Uh, he's calling it into remembrance uh, that, was in his, that was in his grandmother and then also his mother. Uh, so this leads me to my next key point, which is to persevere, we must be put into remembrance. So, okay, that's a little vague. So what do I mean by that? So to make my case, we need to briefly learn a little bit more about Timothy himself. So we're introduced to Timothy in Acts 16, uh, where we find that he's already got a good rapport amongst the church. Uh, and Paul takes an interest in him uh, to train him up uh, and to have Timothy join him on his missionary journeys. Uh, and we see that Timothy became very profitable to the ministry uh, and, trusted, uh, by Paul, and trusted by Paul, even to the extent where Paul could say things about Timothy, like in Philippians 2.20, where he says, I, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Uh, and Paul even trusted him uh, to lead into shepherd churches and to teach doctrine. We see in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now this place of Ephesus is of great importance to the study uh, and the key point that we're going for. Uh, because it leads us to the place of Revelations 2. 
in verses 1 through 5, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labors and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, uh, and thou hast... Uh, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, uh, and, for my, and for my name's sake has labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, uh, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So with all that we can do as a church, we can look pristine, people can think we look great, uh, our doctrine can be top-notch, uh, but if we don't remember um, and have love for the one that we place our faith in, then we're wrong. So my genuine question to you is, are you prioritizing time with God and his word? Uh, and more than that, do you love your God and your Savior? So some of us seriously need to take uh, a look at the amount that we've taken on because we can make ourselves so busy just doing the work of things uh, that we can't even sit down to be quiet and have regular time with our God. And then we can find ourselves looking uh, uh, like the story with Mary and Martha where Martha, she's cumbered about much serving. And this is something I have to learn and remind myself of constantly that, that the amount of service I do isn't what I'm validated in. But Mary, she chose the good part, and she sat at Christ's feet and heard him. So this leads me to my last point for study, uh, which is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So this leads me to my seventh key point and last key point, which is to persevere, we must be bold. We must be bold. Now, remember that this is coming from a time uh, where to take the name of a Christian means the potential of your own death. Uh, and this is true for some places in our world today. Uh, but for many of us right now, claiming the name of Christ might not look like a risk to your physical life. Many of us can, can probably say that we haven't strived unto blood, right? Um, mainly, it might look like um, jabs at our pride or other things. I don't know. I can, I can speak with a broad brush. It, it may look different for each of you. Uh, yet we find ourselves having many things to be fearful of. And it's often said that our generation is the most fearful generation, and we have to wonder why would that be? I mean, there, there's many potential reasons why, but personally, I believe it's because we've lost all concept of the solid foundation that we have on God's word. So, of course, everything will seem uncertain and scary when nobody uh, has any truth in their life. But we have to wonder, why is fear such a big issue? Uh, we can see from some places in Scripture that fear, uh, it puts us back into a place of bondage in our mind. Now, not positionally. We know positionally uh, that we're bought by Christ, uh, but we can put ourselves and our flesh back into a place. In Romans 8.15, it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, uh, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So that's where we are. We have been in love, blood-bought, and are made the child of the Most High King. 
Uh, and he promises that he is with us always, even to the end of the earth. Uh, and we need to remember that we're not actually in the position to be fearful. And so the other thing um, about being put into bondage by fear uh, is that it does sideline us. We can sideline ourselves uh, to where we won't put our hand to the work that God has given us. So in Matthew 25, it tells us of the the parable of talents, uh, where there was a master who went away for a season but gave his servant talents. He dealt them out uh, that they may be multiplied upon his returning home. Uh, And to the servants that he gave uh, five and two talents, uh, they multiplied the talents through their labor. uh, And the testimony of the master to them was, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. However, when we come to this passage uh, and we see uh, that the servant who got that one talent was given to, uh, he went and hid it into the earth. uh, And this is the testimony of the master Upon his returning. In Matthew 25, verse 24 to 26, it says, then he, uh, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where there hast not sown, and gathering where there hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast thou. There hast thou that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. And man, my, my greatest desire and my prayer uh, is that when I stand before our King and my Savior at the judgment seat of Christ, is that I hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, and my prayer is that I can be bold and I can stand on the and for each of us, that we can stand on the promises of God's word uh, and take him at his word, that he's take that, the things that he says seriously. So in order to do that and to hear that, we must be bold in our witness. So I'm getting, I'm getting done a little early, um, but if the worship team wants to come up, is that okay? A little early? Cool. Um, so guys, I know that was a whole lot of information uh, that we went through really fast. I know I talk really fast, um, uh, and some of it was probably insultingly simple to you, um, but now is your time of the service. Uh, I've got the key points that are listed up there. Um, I don't know if any of those things pricked you in your heart. If there's any of those issues that you know uh, you need improvement on or you need to just talk to the Lord about, uh, now is your time to do that. Um, but then for those of you that I addressed earlier in the service who know that you don't know Christ as your Savior, Uh, Like we talked about earlier, now is your time to do so and to come up and talk to somebody about that. Uh, That is quite literally the most important decision you will make with your life. Uh, You are not promised tomorrow. And I've worked in emergency medicine long enough uh, to see many people who thought they had all the time in the world to get their stuff figured out, uh, only to find out that their time was cut short, uh, uh, time was cut shorter than they thought it would be. So guys, that's what I got. Um, I'm going to pray, uh, and then we can ha- we'll have some people up here at the front. Uh, okay? Father, uh, I thank you for your word. Uh, it is so sweet to know that we have promises that we can rely on. 
Father, that you just give us many good gifts. Lord, you give us access to you. Um, and Father, in the weakness of my flesh, Lord, uh, uh, please just let your word go out and take root in people's hearts. Uh, Father, use us. Lord, we want to be people who persevere uh, and do well so that, Lord, when we stand before you, Lord, we hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, that is the greatest desire of my life. Uh, Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you for my family. Uh, Lord, I thank you uh, for those that have been sent out. Lord, I think of Living Faith, Boston, and Tampa, and our friends in Vietnam. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just add much fruit to their account. I love you, Father, and praise you in your name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.